This is a CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Hello and welcome to CQ University's podcast, The Grapevine. I'm Izzy Symes and today I'm speaking with CQ Uni Pro Vice-Chancellor Indigenous Engagement, Adrian Miller. Hello, Adrian. Hi, Izzy. Thank you so much for joining us today. First of all, um, tell me a little bit about, we'll go right from the beginning, um, a little bit about yourself, your background, um, childhood. Mm. Let's start right from there. Okay. Um, so I'm a North Queensland boy um, and I identify as uh, Aboriginal from the Jittabal people of North Queensland. So, And um, I grew up in, a, in Innisfail. Uh, went to Innisfail State School and Innisfail High. Um, I suppose it's it's an interesting town, Innisfail. Um, I suppose it's a rural community. Um, so um, both my parents were in worked in the rural industries as well, particularly my dad. My dad was an old cane cutter, and um, he was also um, a veteran of World War Two. He came from New Zealand and he did two tours, one in the Army and one in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And then he immigrated to Australia, um, found and married mum, and I'm the youngest of six. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Now, Adrian, from those, for those who may not know exactly geographically where Innisfail is, can you give us a little bit of a, an idea of that location? So it's, it's um, about three quarters of the way between Townsville in Cairns, um, one of the wettest places in Australia, uh, and there's a sort of a uh, high competition on who has the largest amount of rainfall between the neighbouring towns of Tully and Bobinda, and um, and so it's uh, quite competitive about. And in in the past, there's been some obviously controversy around <laughs> rigging rain gauges and things like that, but. Um, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But Tully has the golden gun boot. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So it's a fierce competition around you know, who's the wettest. But yeah, look, um, it's, 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 it sits on the, on, on the junction of two major river systems. So it's continually green. It's mm-hmm. just green and beautiful all the time. And then the river opens up onto these lovely beaches. And... Um, but unfortunately, you know, can't swim around in North Queensland because there's crocodiles. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you're not, not too far from home nowadays, being based in Townsville. Um, is that part reason why this is home now? Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I've, I've travelled a fair bit going from a number of universities. I started out in JCU and ended up at CQU. But ultimately, uh, it was just such a, a fantastic opportunity to come back home because I kind of did it, all that, all that university stuff and the conferencing stuff, the researchy stuff, and it's just nice to be home. And, and I think Sikki University's got this wonderful, I think, value-driven um, culture, which aligns with me personally. Mm-hmm. And that means um, the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I've um, I suppose uh, want to drive change for mm-hmm. um, can be done within a university like CQU. I've worked in others and the stuff that I'm doing now would never fly. Yeah. And it's just because it's such a different kind of university, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy working at at the moment. Yeah. 
Speaking of other universities, it mm-hmm. does sound like you've some sort of worked <coughs> yourself around the higher education sector. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your sort of professional career. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it's a, I did everything pretty much back to front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because it's kind of... Uh, Back in the back in the early nineties, um, very few Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were graduating from universities, um, um, and so people with even a bachelor's degree were offered positions like myself within a university like JCU. And so, as soon as I got my degree, I was basically in an associate lecturer position. Yeah, right. Um, not really fully prepared to do that. Um, so I reflected on the lecturers and professors that taught me and I thought I could mimic that style. Failed dramatically. Until, and that's because I didn't have mentorship mm-hmm. and advice until a little bit later on about how to develop my own style of teaching. So um, in those days, look, at JCU, there were pretty controversial times as well because we, we had... Uh, JC in a financial crisis mm-hmm. and lots of senior management changes and it was almost like I was the last person to turn out the light that you know sort of that quote saying and I was left I was one of very few staff members that were around or weren't being caught up in the controversy mm-hmm. and so I got asked to do management roles very at a junior age and a junior part of my career and um, in thinking that, I, I actually then grasped some other opportunities because I thought I could do this stuff. Um, so I got seconded to the federal government in the mid-90s uh, to understand and learn about how higher education institutions were funded. And I got seconded to um, the higher education division in the Commonwealth government. Fascinating experience. Mm. Um, so I packed up my very, very pregnant wife and we moved for six months to Canberra and we had our first child at Canberra Hospital. Uh, no, sorry, what was in Canberra Hospital? Because they just blew up at Canberra Hospital. Oh, wow. And we, were had, we, had, we went to um, Woden Hospital and uh, had our first child, who was Graceland. Then I got another opportunity to work at Macquarie University. Mm-hmm. And... A, at a director level. Anyway, uh, got this amazing opportunity to work back at JCU mm-hmm. uh, in public health and tropical medicine. Uh, I had no idea what health was all about, but I had a fairly, I developed a fair better skills around management and supervision and um, academic program development and delivery. So, um, the Anton Bronner Centre, I was, I was brought into that fold. It was amazing group of researchers, um, incredibly high caliber group, highly productive group, um, and had to reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. I had to reinvent and learn a whole new discipline, a whole new way of speaking and understanding uh, the world from a health perspective or even a public health perspective. And it combined with my undergraduate stuff, with my postgraduate stuff I did with, um, with public health. And... Um, well, basically, skipping ahead 10 years, I, I, t- I basically was teaching intensely for 10 years wow. in public health and tropical medicine. Yeah, right. Um, and all the new and emerging programs that JCU were offering, I was teaching 
it started off with low numbers around the 80 mark and then in one subject and ended up being in 450 wow. by the time I stopped. Yeah, so yeah. The, it was just an indication of the growth in, in health programs and the growth in all the um, interest in health mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, from you know, students from all around the country, including the medical program as well. And obviously to this day, because um, you do research sort of within that field now, don't you? So yep. tell me a little <coughs> bit about the, the health research that you're involved in. Um, so it's, it started really, um, and I was under the, my, this amazing, men, uh, I was being mentored by an amazing man called uh, Professor Rick Spears, who's now passed. And I went to Rick one day because he was my director. I said, Rick, look, I'm, I'm really tired of all this teaching. You know, how can I, you know, I, I think I've, I've done, I don't know why I really can. I'm, I'm feeling that I'm not really offering something dynamic and new to a new kind of learner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, oh, well, there's a space that, you know, I'm, he says, look, I, I, he's interested in parasites. He, he does scientific and community research around parasites. He says, maybe I can fit into that. And I said, oh. God, I don't know anything about this stuff, so <laughs> I had to then again reinvent myself and learn a whole bunch of stuff around um, uh, infectious diseases and, and parasitology. So I took up courses and all that sort of stuff. So Rick says, "Oh, look, I think we should go for an ARC grant because it's a specific Indigenous program." I said, "Oh, <laughs> I didn't That's really big. understand." I didn't yeah. Really... Anyway, lo and behold, that was my first grant. Wow. <laughs> And <laughs> Nothing like jumping straight into no, it. <laughs> it was just this kind of that's that's the kind of culture that we had in Anton Brown. Just mm-hmm. go for stuff and mm-hmm. and see what happens. And that and that was the kind of uh, I continued that kind of style, mm-hmm. putting all the pokers in the fire as many as you can, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how my research career developed. Um, so when I started publishing and showing other people what I've been doing and. Um, I immediately got attention from University of Melbourne and University of Melbourne group um, in the Doherty Institute who do infectious disease research and are probably our leading institute in Australia. Um, in around, they, they do all sorts of stuff, you know, um, HIV um, to um, all sorts of other uh, crazy um, tropical diseases mm-hmm. they, for their research. They've got, you know, sophisticated labs and... But if, anyway, one of their research areas is influenza. Mm-hmm. And because I already had done some work with um, uh, a couple of other NH and MRC grants in influenza, so then this kind of network of institutions and people started, work, we all started working together. Mm-hmm. We all started winning grants. But at the same time, uh, I had um, picked up along the way a really interesting, I think, I think for me, I've even published this, interesting ways in which we engage authentically with Aboriginal communities if you want to do this kind of research. And I think that's kind of kept the momentum and I've been continually successful working with different teams. And I can't, I can't say that I'm the, you know, sort of the lead writer in all these grants, but I'm, I've been pulled into all these dynamic and amazing teams. <laughs> and um, so my latest grant is a um, Centre of Research Excellence with um, the Kirby Institute at the University of New South Wales. Um, it's a $2.5 million grant mm-hmm. and we're looking at neglected tropical diseases and which one of those diseases is a gut parasite which I, I research. Mm-hmm. 
And obviously we want to do more than just one gut parasite. We're looking at a whole cluster of these ne neglected diseases, mm -hmm. and um, which pers still persist in many Aboriginal communities. We don't just focus on Australia either. We, we look at um, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, some of our near-Pacific neighbours as well. Mm -hmm. So we're not just looking in Australia. So um, that's going to be a, a big chunk of my work over the next couple of years. We're, we're trying to work out um, where to focus our attention, and mm -hmm. some of that is starting to emerge with conversations with communities as mm -hmm. well. Um, speaking of your work, Adrian, your role as PVC Indigenous Engagement, tell me a little bit of sort of from a high level, your day-to-day, -day, what what your day-to-day, -day, if you could put it down into, yeah. um, that would involve. Look, um, it's 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 a series, if I, if I could say if it was a day-to-day -day or a week-to-week, -week, it's a series of conversations and discussions with my colleagues on how to improve um, better engagement with Aboriginal communities and students um, across learning, teaching and research, and also how do we do this within social innovation. Mm -hmm. And so it's been predominantly um, working out um, how do we better understand indigenising the curriculum, for example. We've just now had a, an approved new graduate attribute called Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Cultures. Great. So that now contributes. So we're kind of building this kind of... Uh, momentum within learning and teaching mm -hmm. and we're trying to build some momentum in research around building cohorts of Indigenous IHD students and hopefully we will we'll talk to Professor Stanley around see if we can develop an academy around this as well. So Fantastic. what I'm trying to do is, is work with each major portfolio uh, including uh, my supervisor Pierre um, around engagement with Indigenous communities, learning and teaching around what's the best method um, to do that with uh, my colleagues, you know, my teaching learning colleagues, and um, how do we do this with students as well, how do we build capacity around Indigenous cross-cultural competency. So, so it's, and then, you know, finally in, in research, we need to build our numbers within PhDs and research students. So. I'm trying to work out ways in which we do that based on my experience in the past. Mm -hmm. So, um, and finally, I think um, we've got some really strong, uh, well, some major successes coming up because we've been working with Warrabinda Aboriginal community, and that's just outside of Rockhampton, uh, about 200 kilometres, and we're about to sign an MOU. So the Vice Chancellor has has agreed to find an MOU with the, this community on how we do uh, collaboratively develop a education hub, a research hub, and a social enterprise hub. And we've already got momentum in all three of those hubs. Um, so it's exciting. So the whole point of that kind of exercise is to work with the community in order for us to develop a model we can take to another community and see if we can do the same thing. Um, in that way, we, we have a strong philosophy around being a community-driven approach rather than a university approach. Mm -hmm. So if a community decides they're not ready for this, this kind of engagement, that's totally fine. We'll approach another community or they might approach us. So, But the interesting thing about Warabinda, there's been a long history between Seeker University 
um, some researchers have been doing lots of work and engagement. So I'm, we're kind of riding on that relationship mm-hmm. already. So that's been really quite positive. And some of that research and outcomes have actually um, been quite, uh, uh, I, I suppose, accepted by the community on how we might progress what we're doing today. So mm-hmm. there's that, that kind of long-term engagement has been really important for this particular development. Absolutely. Mm. Um, you've been with CQ Uni now for... 12 months. 12 months. I mean, it, it's a short time to be kicking some great goals already. Yeah. So well done. That's Thank really, you. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great achievements. Um, we've spoken a lot about your professional passions and, you know, progression in that sense. Tell me a little bit about um, social, Adrian. Um, <laughs> Hobbies-wise, a little birdie tells me that you've recently acquired a Harley Davidson. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, yeah, look, uh, kind of, you know, second midlife crisis kind of thing, maybe. <laughs> so this is my second Harley, um, and uh, it's I don't know, it just when I was when I was uh, when I had my first bike. I really got into the culture, you know, this kind of <laughs> <laughs> riding culture and stuff. And I thought, you know, sort of you know, had all the levers and all that sort of stuff. And then I grew up a little bit, <laughs> I rid of my bike, and then I think I'm falling back into it. Um, Did you have the tats pre-first bike? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually, because my wife didn't give me permission. And she's only gave me permission to get my tats. Um, oh, what, what, I think it was my... 45th birthday oh wow there you go so for the listeners out there who can't see adrian he does have a few on his uh what are they sleeve yes yeah so i uh, i'm a i'm a good husband i listen to him a lot (laughs) leading by example (laughs) yeah she says you're not getting tattoos yet until she decided one day oh yeah you can get them now you're old enough (laughs) thank you So do you find that you, um, with the Harley, it's sort of, you know, it's an element of you, you're able to hop on it. It's almost like a different world. You can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I think, I think you know, um, everybody needs some kind of hobby and distraction from their work because for me, over the years, I have been quite obsessed with work and, I've, and, and I suppose I've, I've always looked for things to... Um, take my mind off it because quite you know for a long time there I, I, I worked six days a week you know mm-hmm. it was just something we just normally did as you know the work that we do in public health you know it was quite normal to you know work around Christmas time because that's grant season time so you know, it just, just, stop. just doesn't stop mm-hmm. so um, this is a really lovely distraction because um, yeah look it's a it's a it's an interest I've got a few other people that we can talk to talk about bikes because bikes <laughs> bikes are universal and you know harleys are iconic so in terms of your passion what mm. it's i mean obviously health and things like that is a passion of yours indigent indi- yeah. the indigenous culture um is there anything that's you know transpiring through your children as well um nowadays that you sort of that has sparked a new interest in your life oh look uh, it's this is something that was embedded by my mother through my grandmother, um, and it's the value of education. Uh, education is such a transformative experience, and I see it happening with with uh, with one of my daughters at the moment. I've got another daughter that's not that well at the moment, so 
it's 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 slowed her progression, but she has a strong interest in in um, education. But to see the transformative effect of education, even in my own kids, is is really, um, you know, I think, you know, it touches you. You know, you think going from my 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 upbringing and even my mother's upbringing where education wasn't always mm-hmm. you know well it was denied to my mother mm-hmm. um to now that you know i work in an institution where we encourage all diversities within we encourage diversity within um our student engagement and i think it's just absolutely a wonderful transformation from what we've experienced with mm-hmm. indigenous people to what we have now with options amazing options you know an amazing amount of support, um, and not only CQU. There's lots of institutions that are high quality and doing great, great stuff. But it's it's the value and impact that education can have, mm. that then leads you onto an empowered position to do something about social justice. Um, that gave me goosebumps, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> Um, with that, and you touched on this earlier um, you know, about mentorship, mm. um, I think that it's such an important thing and it seems that you agree from a student perspective coming in at an undergraduate level all the way through to, you know, PhD. Mm. What's what's your view on mentoring? Oh, look, I wish I'd picked this up earlier in my life, uh, the importance of of mentorship and and I always talk about these things about formal and informal mentors. You can actually have a, a formal mentor that you can approach and talk to them and say, can you give me advice on this, on the world, education, whatever. And then I think there's a bunch of informal um, mentors where you think, I really admire that person because of whatever. Mm-hmm. They have a set of values. They're, they're, they, um, they're standing in the community or whether they... Um, they just do great things, you know. Um, you just see them as someone or that 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 moves mountains, and yeah. you think, "Wow, I really admire the way that they hold themselves in, with integrity." And that's what I've done, mm-hmm. and I only did that uh, and uh, later in life, um, you know, when I was talking about my early career of aspiring to be, you know, going through management levels, and wish I had that back then because mm-hmm. I think I, I think I would have. Things would have changed a lot, man. I would have prepared, been prepared a lot more. Um, but anyway, my, my, my advice to students or anybody really and my colleagues, mentorship is incredibly important. And again, pick formal or if not informal ways to model your career mm-hmm. and the way that you engage with students mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, even, yeah, you great know. advice. Mm. Um, Adrian, one thing I didn't ask, I think we jumped around a few times there, was um, you obviously got your undergraduate degree. Did you mm. say that was from James Cook? Yeah, I got all, yep. my, all my degrees from James, James Cook Uni. And so what was your first degree? It was Bachelor of Arts majoring in Anthropology and Archaeology. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, my second degree was Master of Public Health. And I recently completed my PhD in um, Health and Mum. Uh, what's it, public health. We'll just call it public health. We've got some other acronym now. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That's another huge achievement. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, I should have did my PhD first. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, I'm happy. <laughs> You've done it now. I've done it now. <laughs> so with your under your first undergrad, um, 
what was the reason for that particular choice? And did you end up going in a career in that field before? Oh, this, this is another story because I started off in teacher education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the late 80s. Yeah. And um, the way you got into JCU, if you didn't get back in those days, the TE score, OP score, you had a, a special entry program mm-hmm. and you could access teacher education, social work and community welfare programs at JCU and basically it was an extended first year mm-hmm. so you pick up academic skills as well as undertaking um, subjects of your, di- your diploma degrees back those mm-hmm. back in those days and so I got to I wanted to be a PE teacher because mm-hmm. I thought you know because I was really into sports back then and weight training and and we promised that over time that this PE program would eventually eventuate, right? and mm-hmm. never did. So, and then I, I, I really stuffed up, you know, young person, you know, getting into relationships, and I just really wasn't focused on study. And then um, I had a look at this curriculum that had an anthropology and archaeology stream uh, um, majors that looked, and, and it was labelled Aboriginal Studies stream. Uh. I thought well, I could do that, so I, I transferred from teacher education. Into into anthropology, archaeology, and just loved it. This stuff made sense to me. Yeah, you know the science of archaeology, the um, you know the sort of the qualitative stuff that anthropology does, and the um, ethnographic kind of work. I just really got it. I got it, mm-hmm. and I really excelled in it. I got off offered honours and all sorts of things, but ultimately, you know, um, as I said, I jumped into academia very quickly mm-hmm. rather than doing my research. And um, yeah, <coughs> I thought I could, I thought I could be a sort of you know an, a, an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be an Australian archaeologist. Yeah. You know, um, do all the stuff because um, I love the bush. Mm-hmm. You know, I love camping. That's one of my family things that we do. But um, just got sucked into the vortex of <laughs> academia <laughs> and uh, couldn't escape it. Um, because it was interesting. It's interesting. It's an interesting field. You know? And I can really see that passion coming out when you're talking about it. Mm. So it sounds like maybe in your retirement, it's something that you'll go back to do. The whole I think circle so. of yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even paleontology because you know all those finds they see out in Western Queensland now. It's just mm. extraordinary. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, archaeology is amazing at the moment because I'm still in contact with my old professors. Yep. And they're writing these amazing papers and the dates now in Australia are so phenomenal mm. that we're looking at 65,000 years confirmed now. When I was doing my degree, they were 40,000 years sounded amazing, but 65. And then there's new evidence about 120,000 years. That's yeah, incredible. It's just extraordinary. Um, and the science is there to do all this stuff because we're, the technology mm. is there to do this kind of sophisticated dating that we can get out of. Even the oceans now. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Mm. So I guess that leads me to the closing, which mm. is what's next for Adrian Miller? Look, I, I, um, what's next for me is actually, uh, because I've moved so often, I want to stay put for a while mm-hmm. and see how much I can do. Um, in, well, I know we've got an, a, a wider Australia footprint, but I want to see how we can do that around... North Queensland for a start and how do we model this into Cape York 
And how do we even extend that into Northern Territory? Because we knew we, we have a, a lot of discrete communities that are particularly underserved by higher education. Mm -hmm. So I want to see if we can develop these kinds of relationships that we've, we've modelled on Warabenda, mm -hmm. not just about education, but social innovation and social enterprise. Uh, and you can't do that really without education. So we're going to do this. We want to, I want to try and see if we can work out these really good relationships and models that are meaningful between the university and, and a community that makes a difference mm -hmm. rather than the traditional style of doing research, flying in, flying out, and not really having much of an impact. impact. Yeah. Mm. So how do we make sustainable relationships beneficial for both the university and, and Indigenous communities? Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Interesting times ahead. Yeah. Actually, before I do close, we did talk about Townsville briefly earlier. Yeah. Um, you are based at the Townsville campus. Um, we understand why Townsville, because it's close to home, obviously, for you. But how are you finding the the campus? It's obviously smaller than, say, Rockhampton um, and our larger metro campuses and in terms of the staff cohort and mm. student population. Mm. But um, you seem to have settled in quite nicely here. What, what you, what's your vibe on I love this campus. This is really, this is really nice. It's close to the city. Um, I, 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 I like it because I've gotten used to the way in which we do work differently. Um, it took me a while. It took me about six months to really get my head around the amount of Zoom engagement that we do. Um, and I really couldn't get used to that because I'm used to my EA knocking on my door and saying, time's up, you've got another appointment coming. Now I'm being self-managed by a distance from my EA from Rocky. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm, I'm really okay with it. You know, yeah. um, I'm used to it. Now, after another six months, so for the first six months were really really trying to get con confused. I was really quite confused about how to do this, <laughs> and now I'm really settled into it. Mm. So Townsville's a really good base. I mean, at, at the moment, it's just a short flight to Rocky. I've got mm. staff in Cairns. Uh, I, I want to engage with Mackay area a little bit more now that you know I've got Pierre there and um, had a really lovely event there about opening a school on our campus couple of weeks ago it was mm -hmm. fantastic so I'm going to do a little a lot more elders engagement as well wonderful yeah um, uh, it's 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 a growing importance of the university as well mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. wonderful Adrian thank you so much for your time today it's You're been welcome. lovely talking to you thank you like this podcast don't forget to rate review and share with your friends